Hey, this is Dr. Vargas Lowy, child neurologist. In today's blog, I'm going to talk about developmental delays uh, in general. And this is a very broad subject because there's many different types of developmental delays. Uh, typically in our office, um, we get referrals from kids that are younger, uh, babies between zero or between one month and two years of age, uh, because that's mostly when the pediatricians are tracking the milestones, the developmental milestones, and uh, if there's any kind of delay, that's when they uh, refer them to us. Another group of patients that we monitor very closely for development are patients that are uh, born with some kind of brain lesion or with some kind of event at birth that leads to uh, a brain lesion, whether it's a hemorrhage, a bleed in your brain, or a stroke, or what we call encephalopathy, uh, which um, can be a wide array of congenital neurological disorders, or uh, low perfusion to the brain, that there's not enough blood or oxygen in the brain when uh, during birth because birth can be a very traumatic event. Those are kids that typically are directly following up from the pediatric, in, from the neonatal intensive care unit uh, to our offices. Um, we can do imaging, uh, and the most important thing is uh, making sure that they're developing normally. Also, I, sh I should mention the premature babies. Even though there's been a lot of advances uh, in the care of premature babies uh, in the neonatal intensive care units. Uh, and some of them actually do really well and they have no developmental delays. Uh, they always follow up uh, with us uh, just in case because sometimes uh, a little baby who's just born, and this is across the board, not just for prematures. Um, you know, between the age of zero of being born and one, two months of age, babies don't do a lot, right? They mostly eat, uh, they may look around a little bit, they may play with their hands a little bit, uh, they sleep, and uh, so we don't have a lot of information uh, from them, from the physical exam or from observing them uh, to determine whether there's a delay in their development or not. So sometimes the diagnosis is a little bit delayed, uh, especially uh, when at Six months of age, for instance, they should be uh, sitting up unsupported. Um, that's a very frequent red flag for pediatricians and for us, for that matter. Uh, when kids are not able to uh, sit unsupported, uh, there, there is some kind of uh, uh, weakness or motor um, a delay that uh, prompts that uh, referral to the pediatric neurologist. I mentioned... Um, Developmental delays are a wide array of, of possible issues. Uh, we typically divide them into different areas of development. Uh, one of them being motor delays, which is, you know, the coordination of your movements, your strength. And one important thing is not just the strength, but the tone. You know, you can have a, a baby or a kid with a normal, apparently normal strength, but their tone is very low, what we call hypotonia. Um, and that can lead to problems with posture, problems with sitting. Uh, as you advance in age, uh, they might have some struggle standing up or they might have some struggle walking. 
which is another big uh, developmental milestone, right? Giving your first steps. So typically, uh, you know, uh, kids, toddlers start walking from anything from 10 months of age to we consider normal within the normal limits about 16 months of age. My own daughter actually started walking when she was 17 months of age and we were about to to get a referral for, for a pediatric neurologist, which would have been very ironical. But um, she's doing great, by the way. <laughs> she's 12 now. Um, so, you know, those are the typical motor milestones. As they age, so after walking around one year of age, one and a half years of age, uh, we assess their ability to climb on furniture, go on the playground and, you know, climb on the different structures in the playground, their ability to run, their ability to to walk backwards, um, uh, climbing upstairs, uh, and then uh, standing on one foot, for instance, jumping, that's another milestone. And then as they develop a little bit older, older than three, you know, riding a tricycle, riding a bike, and so on. And what I just mentioned are gross motor skills, right? It's like large group of mu groups of muscles that involve uh, your, whole, your whole body and the, the movements are like uh, more gross movements, right? That's why we call it gross motor skills. Then uh, we evaluate for fine motor skills. Uh, that involves finer movements, uh, especially of your hands. Um, so, you know, a little baby, uh, he, we pay attention to the fact that he first uh, puts his hands together, he starts touching his hands, he's curious about his fingers, uh, he brings them to the midline, um, and that's about, you know, one and a half, two months of age, uh, and then they bring their uh, hands to their mouth, for instance, uh, and then uh, shortly after they start reaching for objects, uh, they start grabbing the objects with enough strength that it's hard to take it from them. And then as they mature, they're able to, for instance, um, hold on to their um, uh, bottle and bring it to their mouth and coordinate that mouth hand movements, coordinate eye hand movements. All that is the, the fine motor skills. Then as uh, they become toddlers, we assess their capacity to grab a fork, grab a spoon, bring the spoon to the mouth, um, coloring, holding a pencil, scribbling. And then um, I, as they start uh, scribbling, then we start analyzing the types of figures that they can draw. Um, and very typically we have, you know, like different geometrical figures for different ages. So it goes uh, from a circle, to a square, to a triangle, a diamond, etc., and each one determines uh, the age at which it's appropriate to, to to reach that milestone. Another very typical example is um, putting blocks on top of each other. So depending on their age, they're able to put more blocks one on top of each other. Uh, more fine motor skills that I can tell you about uh, could be drawing the figure of, of, of a kid, of a man or a woman, um, and then we start assessing um, 
the general shape to see if there's any recognizable parts of the body, the different body parts. Is it just a big head with arms or can you start seeing the eyes, the mouth, the ears? Is there a body where the arms and, and legs come out of? Is he making hands already, fingers? Uh, the more detail, the more level of maturation there is. So this is about three, four years of age, right? Like when they start drawing things that are recognizable. And then, of course, as they go to the last years of preschool or first grade, then we start assessing their capacity to write letters, to write numbers, to write their name. And then, um, then we're going a little bit more into the cognitive aspect of uh, development, right? Uh, at some point, five motor skills are very... Um, closely related to your cognitive abilities, right? Um, so what's cognitive uh, development? Cognitive development uh, for a baby would be initially to be able to recognize their, uh, their parents, to be able to interact with them. Um, uh, stranger anxiety is a very typical thing uh, that we assess when they're six, seven months of age. You know, they feel comfortable with mom and dad, but then when they see their <laughs> neurologist, they start screaming their lungs out, right? So that's stranger anxiety, which is a normal thing of development. Then as they uh, grow older, um, we make sure that they are able to understand uh, pictures, that they're able to tell the colors apart. And this is, you know, a little bit older, two, three years of age. Uh, they start understanding then their body parts and um, they start seeing the body parts, not just understanding. You tell them like, hey, grab the, the green block and they grab it, right? But they, at some point when they're three, four, they start saying it, right? And then we go into uh, a language too. Obviously, cognition and language is, again, very closely related. And that needs to be clear. Gross motor skills, fine motor skills, cognitive skills, and uh, uh, language and social skills, they're all closely intertwined, right? So back to cognitive, and again, uh, a little bit into language as well, uh, we start assessing uh, their ability to count from one to 10, and then uh, further further up, um, we, we start uh, um, just making questions, asking what's this, what's that. Uh, they show interest in different things around them, their point, they initially point at what they want, then they start saying what they want. Again, as you can see, we go into the language too. So uh, about language. Uh, so that's another very important uh, area of development that we start assessing actually from, from birth, really. Uh, so in little babies, we uh, hear their little sounds that they make at different ages. They start cooing and babbling, doing raspberries. And then they start saying ma, ma, ma sounds and papa and dada. So then they say uh, the word mama very clearly, actually. And then a couple of months later, they, they start saying it appropriately, directed to their mom. Same for dada, right? They start dada and then uh, <clears throat> they realize that people call him papa, which is a more difficult sound to make. And typically, papa comes after dada, right? Um, so that's the first word that a kid typically say, although there's exceptions, obviously. Again, back to my daughter, the first thing she said was in Spanish, actually, and it was the word water in Spanish, which is agua. She said that before uh, saying mama or dada.
And that's something actually that's really important for you to understand, uh, that every kid develops in completely different ways. Some kids are really good physically, they have awesome gross motor skills, they start walking when they're nine months old, but they won't say a word until they're two, and they won't say a sentence until they're four. That, so that doesn't mean that everything is okay, we don't need to worry about it, you know, we'll probably do a referral for a language therapist. Uh, but uh, even between siblings, you can see a huge difference in, in the way they develop. Right? That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. We do need to assess, but it doesn't mean that there's uh, an actual uh, problem, neuro, uh, pro, an actual neurological problem. All right, so back to language. Um, <clears throat> They say very simple words initially, then as they are a year and a half, two years of age, they start combining two words, then after they're three, they start saying sentences, simple sentences, and again, you can see a two, three-year-old that talks almost normally, some kids are amazing, uh, but you know, these are the typical milestones that, um, that we assess. Um, as they uh, mature, when they're three, four, uh, they start communicating normally with their parents. Uh, they're able to tell them what they want without having to just point uh, at the object. And language is actually not just vocabulary uh, and the ability to build sentences. Uh, it's also uh, the ability to pronounce things right. Uh, obviously, I have an accent, but that's not my fault. <laughs> but, uh, you know, even a native English speaker uh, can have some issues with the R, they can have some issues with the D. Uh, some, sometimes there's even a, a physical uh, impairment. Uh, you can have a tongue tie and you can say specific, uh, specific letters, pronounce specific letters. So that's all part of the uh, language development as well. And finally, we assess social skills, right, in, in the development, and and that's that's pretty that's pretty easy, and it goes very closely to to the cognitive skills, right? Uh, so uh, interaction with other people when they're babies, interaction with their parents, again, the stranger anxiety. Then, as they start seeing other kids, do they feel comfortable with other kids? Do they freak out and they're only comfortable with adults? Um, when they're about one, two, they play, they may feel comfortable with other kids, but they typically do the parallel playing. They don't interact so much. Uh, they sit in parallel and they just play, they do their thing, right? Um, then we assess what kind of games they do, what kind of activities are they able to do um, with other people. And of course, uh, this goes back to the uh, possible diagnosis of autism, right? And this is something that I that I mentioned already in the in the blog about autism. You know, kids that are very socially isolated, who have communication problems, who are very retracted. Uh, we always have to to assess for um, autism spectrum disorder. So this is, in a nutshell, uh, the different aspects of metabolism. And I'm not going to go into all the different milestones that uh, we assess because this would take an hour um, and it's already been 15 minutes. <laughs> so uh, how do we assess uh, for developmental delays? What kind of studies do we do? Well, the first one is what I just told you. We just do a history. We uh, track the developmental milestones very carefully. And if we see any delays, then we decide if there's any kind of workup. It's very important also, just like I said earlier, uh, to assess uh, for a good um, a pregnancy, 
uh, history as well delivering. Uh, we don't want uh, to miss that a kid has been exposed to any kind of medication or recreational drug or smoking or alcohol uh, during pregnancy and then we're like, why is this kid so underdeveloped? Uh, well, it's because his development was, uh, you know, impaired during pregnancy or was there any issues during uh, delivery? Uh, was it a difficult delivery? Was it a vaginal? Was it a C-section? Did it take a really long to go into labor, etc.? All those kind of things we need to um, assess very carefully. Then we need to assess for uh, traumas. You know, did he fall at some point? Has he ever lost consciousness? Has he ever or she ever had seizures? You know, seizures can can be uh, a condition that can affect your development. So those things, you know, the, all the all the accompanying uh, possible conditions need to be taken into account for the assessment of a kid's development. Then finally, uh, we come to decide whether we need to do any kind of studies. Uh, and the main thing that we, that we would decide is whether uh, we want to do imaging studies of the brain. And typically, that would be a brain MRI. Um, if you go to the guidelines for workup of developmental delays by the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, there's very clear criteria. And we only do imaging studies a, in kids who have a history of some kind of uh, trauma during pregnancy or um, delivery, and B, kids who have a global developmental delay. But it's not just language, it's not just uh, gross motor skills, it's everything. Gross motor skills, fine motor skills, language, cognitive, social. Uh, in those cases, we do a brain MRI. Um, another study that we do in cases of global developmental delays uh, is a genetic study. Uh, and this is uh, typically something called a, a chromosomal microarray, which is like a very big picture of your genes. You know, it doesn't look at every single gene individually. Uh, you know, it just probes for possible mutations uh, in, in your genome. Um, and that's uh, because we want to make sure that there's no mutations that lead to syndromes that we know are associate, associated to those mutations. Um, now, if your kid has any developmental delays and uh, we order a chromosomal microarray, uh, we always have to warn first that a normal microarray doesn't mean that there's no developmental delay. That's one thing that needs to be clear. And another one is that you can have an abnormal microarray that shows some kind of random mutation and that might not actually explain the developmental delay. It might be a random mutation that anyone can have and that you know most of the people would be developmentally completely normal. So those are things. And typically, there's an interpretation by a geneticist that tells you, you know, we found this mutation, but there's no known syndrome that goes with that mutation. So those are the two big studies that, that we order. Now, if that comes normal, uh, both the brain MRI and the uh, chromosomal microarray. Oh, and we also test in terms of genetics, we test for a very specific syndrome called Fragile X syndrome, which is the most commonly uh, inherited uh, genetic mutation that leads to developmental delay. So again, uh, if both the MRI and the genetic studies come back normal and we see that there's a clear development or we see that there's uh, an abnormal uh, uh, physical 
feature uh, that we see, you know, his face looks uh, syndromic and, you know, there's some, even though we haven't seen any abnormalities in the genetic studies, there, there is something going on here. Uh, then we would typically do a more in-depth, not just metabolic, but um, I mean, not just genetic, which we can actually, we can go further uh, than just the microarray. We can do what we do, a whole genome sequencing um, but another part of the of the workup would be a metabolic workup, which is looking for substances in your blood or your urine that may met, that be may be metabolized abnormally. Um, you know, accumulation of specific enzymes or specific products of uh, degradation of proteins or of uh, carbohydrates, uh, etc. So that would be the metabolic workup. Um, that uh, sometimes we need to do. Um, another study that could potentially be done, if there's any suspicion of seizures uh, in a baby or in a young kid uh, with developmental delays, we would do an electroencephalogram, an EEG, which is measuring the electric activity of your brain uh, to make sure that it works in an organized way. Uh, if it doesn't, and there's actually epilepsy, which is not always convulsions or staring spells, it can be just you know, malfunction of your of your brain that doesn't show physically, um, but it can show actually in a very delayed uh, development. So that would be the main uh, um, uh, studies that we do. Just to repeat, imaging studies, genetic studies, metabolic studies, and electrophysiological studies, which is the EEG. And this is what the neurologist will order in terms of laboratory studies, right? Then the other big part of it, and probably the most important one, is placing a referral to the corresponding therapists. That is, um, you know, if it's a kid with autism, for instance, uh, the whole team of occupational, language, uh, social therapists, uh, plus the ABA therapy that I've mentioned in my autism blog, which stands for Applied Behavioral Analysis, you know, that we would put together a whole team that would uh, help the kid with autism. If it's just a specific developmental delay, say like language, we would send them to a language therapist. And it's not just for the therapy, it's also for a more in-depth evaluation, right? We do evaluation and management. Same for a physical therapist, same for an occupational therapist. Um, and then we follow up with them, right? We have a very close communication with all these therapists, making sure that all the needs of the kid are met. Um, another big uh, player in uh, kids with developmental delays is the school, right? Not only because occupational therapists, uh, language therapists go to school and help the kid at school, but also because the teachers and uh, the rest of the staff at school also play a role. They need to be aware that the kid has some delays in specific areas and have accommodations, either with a 504 plan or with an IEP, an individual education plan. Um, in terms of uh, medication, uh, that's very uh, individual. Um, you know, some kids may have ADHD and they may benefit from either just the supplements, uh, which I mentioned in another blog about ADHD, or uh, stimulants or non-stimulants, you know, your Ritalin, Adderall, etc. Um, some other kids 
may have severe anxiety. Kids with autism sometimes have severe anxiety and we may offer some kind of medication for anxiety like benzodiazepines. Uh, depression is a very common comorbidity as well. Uh, sleep problems. So, you know, uh, we go by the symptoms more than, you know, there's no medication that's going to uh, manage developmental delays in general. But developmental delays sometimes are associated to other uh, disorders like seizures, right? So, so if a kid, or a kid has seizures and developmental delays, we give them the medication for the seizures, and sometimes the delays get a lot better. Then in terms of uh, follow-up with uh, me, with a neurologist, depending on the severity of the developmental delays, we may do follow-ups as close as three months to as long as two years. You know, if we see that initially there were some delays, but then you know they caught up. Uh, we may say, okay, just return when he turns four. You know, and at that time we'll we'll assess whether he needs anything else or not. And very often kids are uh, they graduate from neurology, but then a few years later they start struggling again when they go to third grade or fourth grade, and then they're referred back to us. Uh, and that's and that's all right. Uh, very often with ADHD, actually. Um, so um, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact me. If you think that your kid has some kind of delays or your baby has some kind of delays, talk to your pediatrician, place a referral to come see me, and I'll be happy to uh, do an assessment. Uh, so that's all what I had to say about developmental delays. Uh, it was a pleasure uh, sharing this with you. Uh, this was Dr. Vargas Lowy, your personal channel neurologist. <laughs>